Welcome to the Defender Bible Study, a weekly encouragement to equip the body of Christ through the study of Scripture and prayer to manifest the gospel to orphans and vulnerable children around the world. This podcast is a ministry of Lifeline Children's Services, where we believe that defending the fatherless begins by being rooted in God's Word. It's Monday, July 12, 2021, and I'm coming to you from Birmingham, Alabama. Well, we are so grateful to continue our study on the book of 2 Thessalonians, and this week we'll actually conclude our study on the books of First and 2 Thessalonians. And today we will look specifically at 2 Thessalonians chapter 3, verses 6 through 18, growing in grace while expecting his return. And in 2 Thessalonians, we're reminded that Paul instructs the church at Thessalonica to be ready for the coming of Christ by helping them see the pattern of the world leading to Christ's return. Amidst Paul's exhortation of the second coming, Paul wants to prepare God's people to be ready in conduct, action, and deed. You see, Paul understands that sanctification and growth in Christ are a process, and he didn't want the church to thwart or ignore the discipline of growing in Christ. In the same way that the human body grows from infancy to adulthood, our maturity in Christ is very similar. God could have created man to come out fully grown, but instead he has man, woman, enter the world as a baby, weak and dependent, but over time growing into adulthood. As a believer, we start off weak and frail, but we must seek the Lord so that we can grow in the Lord to maturity. Peter says that as newborn babies long milk, we as new believers long pure spiritual milk, but we must go on to the weightier matters. We must go on to eating meat. We must grow in our maturity. And this is what Paul is attacking here in 2 Thessalonians chapter 3, he wants the believers to see that they must grow in maturity. They must grow from infancy to adulthood in their walk with Christ, even as they're waiting and anticipating the second coming of Christ. And as we look at the second coming of Christ, I feel there are pretty much two schools of people that Paul is speaking to within the church. Think about it as two college students getting their syllabus on the first day of class. They see the term paper looming without clear definition on when it is due. Some will begin that night researching term paper ideas because they don't want to get a moment behind. And they'll become so fixated on that term paper that they'll actually even ignore all the other things that are on the syllabus and all the other things that need to be done. The deadline is already hot in their minds and their hearts. But the other set looks at it and realizes they have a full semester and thus plenty of time to get the paper done. One group finds peace in getting ready and the other group finds peace in the waiting. Some today look at the second coming as if it is not imminent and it's almost something to ignore while others are way too concerned about it trying to figure out the times. And the church, like we, had both groups of people and those in between. And Paul was speaking to them all and exhorting them all not to grow so affixed on the second coming that they ignored the time in between and their growth in the Lord. He was reminding them to live with eternity stamped in their minds, but allow that reality to fuel their urgency to live in the day, making the most of Christ. But he also encouraged the procrastinators not to grow complacent. It's with that aim that Paul closes out his second letter to the church at Thessalonica. 2 Thessalonians chapter 3, let's start in verse 6 through the end of the chapter. Now we command you, brothers, 
in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that you keep away from any brother who is walking in idleness and not in accord with the tradition that you received from us. For you yourselves know how you ought to imitate us, because we were not idle when we were with you, nor did we eat anyone's bread without paying for it. But with toil and labor, we work night and day that we might not be a burden to any of you. It was not because we do not have that right, but to give you in ourselves as an example to imitate. For even when we were with you, we would give you this command. If anyone is not willing to work, let him not eat. For we hear that some among you walk in idleness, not busy at work, but busybodies. Now such persons we command and encourage in the Lord Jesus Christ to do their work quietly and to earn their own living. As for you, brothers, do not grow weary in doing good. If anyone does not obey what we say in this letter, take note of that person and have nothing to do with him, that he may be ashamed. Do not regard him as an enemy, but warn him as a brother. Now may the Lord of peace himself give you peace at all times in every way. The Lord be with you all. I, Paul, write this greeting with my own hand. This is the sign of genuineness in every letter of mine. It is the way I write. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. In this closing, Paul gives five exhortations to the church and to us as we wait for Christ's return. The first two are warnings to heed and the last three are imperatives to act upon. As Paul speaks of being idle, lazy, and negative busybodies, he is warning the church and us, giving us answers to avoid these attitudes. Ultimately, Paul doesn't want the church to rest in a false sense of security, either by thinking, I'm good when Christ returns, so I'll just coast, nor I better work so fast and furious because the day is approaching, and in turn I grow weary. Verse 6 says again, Now we command you, brothers, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that you keep away from any brother who's walking in idleness and not in accord with the tradition that you receive from us. So five exhortations for the believer as we wait for Christ's return. Two are warnings and three are imperatives. And in a sense, Paul gives us these two warnings and then he gives us these three imperatives to help us with the two warnings. First warning, first exhortation, do not become idle. In verses 7 through 10, Paul encourages the church that you ought to imitate him and Silas and Timothy when they were with them, not to eat bread without paying for it or toil and labor to, to do that night and day and not to be a burden on anyone else. And then he ends, if anyone is not willing to work, let him not eat. You see, poor work ethic was reflecting poorly on the Lord and the church. This wasn't just in Thessalonica, but throughout the early church. This is why Paul exhorts the Colossians in Colossians 3, 23 through 24, that whatever you do, work heartily as to the Lord and not for man, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the inheritance as your reward. You are serving the Lord Christ. You see, these Christians were so fixed on the second coming being imminent that they ignored the daily task and rhythm of life. They had grown missionarily lazy. Either in their zeal for the second coming or in their procrastination, they ignored the Lord's command to work, be fruitful, and to multiply. Paul had also warned against this in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, 10-12, when he says, For that indeed is what you are doing to all the brothers throughout Macedonia. But we urge you, brothers, to do this more and more, and to aspire to live quietly, and to mind your own affairs, and to work with your hands as we instructed you, so that you may work properly before outsiders and dependent on no one. And Paul is bold in his pronouncement for them to work. When in our passage in verse 10, he says, if anyone is not willing to work, let him not eat. This is not a political conservative mantra, but a father rebuking his children in the faith to work hard, to serve the Lord with gladness, 
and to be an example to the pagans and unbelievers of your obedience to and love for the Lord. But this warning against idleness also carried with it seeking peace and unity within the church with, among brothers and sisters. Paul told the church at Rome, Love one another with brotherly affection, Romans 12, 10-13. Outdo one another in showing honor. Do not be slothful in zeal. Be servant in spirit. Serve the Lord. Rejoice in hope. Be patient in tribulation. Be constant in prayer. Contribute to the needs of the saints and seek to show hospitality. We therefore are never to be idle in physical work, spiritual work, or the work of unity amongst the church, both the big C global church as well as the little c local church. So two instructions we see embedded in this warning. First, read and obey the word. From the very moment of creation, the plan of the Lord was for man to work. Genesis 1.27 says, So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. But then he goes on and says, And God blessed them, verse 28. And God said to them, Be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it. And have dominion over the fish and of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves in the earth. And God said, Behold, I have given you every plant yielding seed that is on the face of the earth and every tree with seed in its fruit. You shall have them for food to every beast of the earth, and to every bird of the heavens, and to everything that creeps on the earth, everything that has the breath of life. I have given every green plant for food. And it was so. And then in Genesis 2, the, most, the more poetic version of man's creation, after man was created, Genesis 2.15 says, Immediately the Lord took the man, put him in the Garden of Eden to work and to keep it. You see, the Garden of Eden was a place of joy and pure delight. But even in that unperfect, unblemished world of the Garden of Eden, man was given a task to work. Work is not a result of the fall, but work is a result of creation. Proverbs 6.6, the wisdom literature tells us abundantly that man shall work. And then Proverbs says, go to the ant, O sluggard, consider her ways and be wise. And then even the Great Commission tells Christ's followers to be active. With five imperatives, the Great Commission says, Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. We avoid laziness because it's biblical to, be, to work and to be active in the kingdom physically and spiritually. But the second instruction embedded in this warning is to follow godly examples not worldly ways. You see, 2 Thessalonians 3, 7-8 reminds us, for you yourself know how you ought to imitate us because we were not idle when we were with you, nor did we eat anyone's bread without paying for it, but with toil and labor we worked night and day that we might not be a burden to any of you. Paul says this to the church at Corinth, 1 Corinthians 11, 1, be imitators of me as I am of Christ. God has given us a pattern in the form of older, wiser, and mature believers to follow. We don't look to the pattern of this world. We don't look to the philosophies of this world. We don't look to what this world is doing. We look to godly examples. But the second exhortation for the believer, and yet the second warning as well, is this. Do not create disunity. Verses 11 and 12 of 2 Thessalonians 3 tell us, For we hear that some among you walk in idleness. Not busy at work, but busy bodies. Now such persons we command and encourage in the Lord Jesus Christ 
to do their work quietly and to earn their own living. Not only were people idle, in their idleness they were stirring up contention. They were creating factions. You see, Paul deals with this in so many of his letters, warning the church not to divide over petty things. Peter also says it well in 1 Peter chapter 3, verses 8-12, through 12, when he says, Finally, all of you have unity of mind, sympathy, brotherly love, a tender heart, and the humble mind. Do not repay evil for evil or reviling for reviling, but on the contrary, bless for this you are called, that you may obtain an inheritance. For whoever desires to love life and see good days, let him keep his tongue from evil and his lips from speaking deceit. Let him turn away from evil and do good. Let him seek peace and pursue it. For the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous and the ears are open to their prayer. But the face of the Lord is against all those who do evil. May we not be idle, but may we also work fiercely against disunity through our humility in Christ. And the third exhortation for the believer as we wait for Christ's return, and this is the first imperative, and that's take heart, do not grow weary. Verse 13 of 2 Thessalonians 3 As for you, brothers, do not grow weary in doing good. Paul wants the church to seek Christ and to not grow weary. He also told that to the church at Galatia. In Galatians 6, 9 through 10, he says, Let us not grow weary of doing good, for in due season we will reap. And if we do not give up, so then as we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone and especially to those of the household of faith. I love the way the writer of Hebrews gives us the path to not growing weary when he reminds us, Hebrews chapter 12, verse 1, that we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses. So he tells us, lay off every weight that hinders and, and the sin that clings so closely and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. Verse 2, he tells us to look to Jesus, the founder and perfecter and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him, endured the cross, despising its shame, and now is seated at the right hand of God. The writer of Hebrews says, verse 3, Consider him, Jesus, who endured from sinners such hostility against himself. Why? So that you will not grow weary or faint-hearted. Take heart and do not grow weary, beloved. But as you do, look to Christ. He, he will help you. He who endured such, sin, such opposition from sinners and hostility against himself, he will help you not grow weary or faint-hearted. But the fourth exhortation for the believer as we wait for Christ's return, and it's the second imperative, is this. Be diligent and avoid being negatively influenced by others. Verse 14 says, If anyone does not obey what we say in this letter, Take note of that person and have nothing to do with him that he may be ashamed. Do not regard him as an enemy, but warn him as a brother. There will be negativity, but we must avoid being influenced. We must have nothing to do with controversies, but also to warn those who have become a part. Three quick ways that will help us in avoiding controversies and being negatively influenced. The first is to cling to God's word. Moses says in one of his last sermons and that's recorded in Deuteronomy chapter 11, verses 26 and 28, he says, See, I'm setting before you today a blessing and a curse. The blessing, if you obey the commandments of the Lord your God, which I command you today, and the curse, if you do not obey the commandments of the Lord your God, but turn aside from the way that I commanding you today to go after other gods that you have not known. Oh, brothers and sisters, the word of God is a light into our path and a lamp into our feet. We must cling to God's word. 
God's word consistently turns us away from negativity and clings us to the joy of our salvation. We must cling to God's word. But second, we must avoid altogether being a part of the negativity. Paul tells Timothy in 2 Timothy chapter 2, verses 14 through 18, he says, Remind the brethren of these things and charge them before God not to quarrel about words, which does no good but only ruins the hearers. Do your best to present yourself to God as one approved, a worker who has no need to be ashamed, rightly handling the word of truth. But avoid irreverent babble, for it will lead people into more and more ungodliness, and their talk will spread like gangrene. Among them are Hymenaeus and Philetus, who have swerved from the truth, saying that the resurrection has already happened. They are upsetting the faith of some. How would you like to be Hymenaeus and Philetus? First, who could ever pronounce your name? But then second, they're in God's word, scripture written by Paul, saying that because they become so negative that they were their talk was spreading like gangrene. Brothers and sisters, we've got to avoid being part of negativity. We upset the faith of others and we take the glory away from Christ Jesus. But the third thing that we can do to avoid controversies is to seek restoration. We must seek restoration with those who are wanting to create controversy. We must point them back to Christ and point them back to the word of Christ. And we must seek to bring peace amongst our brothers and sisters. Beloved, Reconciliation is a gift of the gospel. When those around us are being negative, we must seek that reconciliation. But the fifth exhortation for the believer as we wait for the return of Christ, and this is the third imperative, is to find true comfort in the Lord. Verses 16 through 18 say, Now may the Lord of peace himself give you peace at all times in every way. The Lord be with you all. I, Paul, write this greeting with my own hand. This is the sign of genuineness in every letter of mine. It is the way I write. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. God's peace is impossible without God's presence. Paul adds in his benediction, the Lord be with you all. There's comfort today in knowing that the Lord will not abandon us. Even if we are idle, a busybody, or negative, the Lord will never leave us or forsake us. Paul finishes this epistle talking about the second coming of Christ in the most comforting way, letting us know that the Lord, he is with us now as we wait. What better encouragement than to know that Christ is with us in the waiting. And so in closing, I love what the psalmist says in Psalm 121, verses 1 through 8, when he says, I lift up my eyes to the hills from where does my help come from? My help comes from the Lord who made heaven and earth. He will not let your foot be moved. He who keeps you will not slumber. Behold, he who keeps Israel will neither slumber nor sleep. The Lord is your keeper. The Lord is the shade on your right hand. The sun shall not strike you by day nor the moon by night. The Lord will keep you from all evil. He will keep your life. The Lord will keep your going out and your coming in from this time forth to forevermore. Brothers and sisters, we find true comfort in the Lord. Well, next week, we will start our study on the book of Romans. We hope that you will join us on July the 12th for our study that will start on Romans chapter 1. And we will be specifically looking at Romans chapter 1, verses 1 through 17. Well, thank you for joining us for the Defender Bible Study. Today, we are praying for the country of India. We're praying for the church and for the government. We're praying for adoption. 
praying for our team here and our team on the ground, praying for orphans and the unreached. And we're praising God for what we have seen him do through this program. Let's pray. Father God, we come before you to pray for the country of India. We pray for the church that you would raise up national pastors, for the church to grow within the country. We pray that in the midst of various challenges, that the gospel would continue to move forward in India through intercountry adoption, orphan care, and through the proclamation of your gospel. We pray for Alex Sam, our India representative, as he and his family seek to care for the fatherless through their ministry, Everett Mission, and seek to take the gospel into some of the most unreached people groups in northern India, as well as lead our team of helping families who are adopting. We pray for Lifeline's relationship with Kara, their staff, and for continued open doors for children to be placed with Lifeline families. We pray for Kara as they make decisions on behalf of children eligible for adoption in India, and we pray they seek the best interests of children in need of forever families. We pray for our team in the U.S. as they serve families and continue to see the growth of the India program. For Mark and Carla and Jana, for Brooke and Toria and Holly and Olivia and Kayla and Morgan. We pray for our guides as they serve families who are traveling at this time, for Alex and for Dolly and for Vikram and for Ronnie and for Neha and for Godsey. And we pray for unadopted as they serve our partners in India. Think of Krupa and Hannah and Tara and Tarun and Satara Managaram and for Alex Sam. We pray that as India remains the country with the largest number of orphans in the world, that, that, that we would be able to reach these children with the hope of the gospel and that they would be used as active agents of redemption in their birth culture and nation. Lord, we know that roughly 95% of India's population is unreached by you, and we pray that your gospel would go forth in the areas where it has not been shared. Will you use us, will you use our partners to preach and to make your gospel known? We pray for you to give us wisdom as we discern how you're leading us to strategically be involved in the work that's going on throughout India. We pray that you would strengthen our partnership with Krupa and Hannah and give us wisdom for how we can continue to serve, especially serve these kids in the after-school programs there in Bangalore. We ask that you would be with Alex and Sunita as they serve with Everett Mission and give us grace to know how to better wrap around them and serve them and work with them and care for them. And Lord, we certainly pray for Tara and Tarun and Satara Managaram, especially as we have the one-year anniversary of Isaac's home going to you, Lord God. Would you give them grace and mercy? Would you give them wisdom? Would you give them strength as they serve these 17 girls in Chennai? And Lord, we praise you that we've seen a hundred children placed into homes from India and the loving forever families. Lord, we praise you that travel reopened to India for adoptive families with finalized adoptions. We praise you that the, the care continues to remain pro-adoption even in the midst of challenges. We pray that this pro-adoption mindset would endure and that it would be continued favor with Lifeline's India program specifically. Lord God, our hope and our aim is that you would be glorified and the gospel would go forth in India. It's in your great name that we pray, the name of Jesus. Thanks again for joining us for the Defender Bible Study. If you enjoy making this podcast a part of your weekly routine, we'd love for you to take a moment to subscribe, rate, and review the Defender Bible Study to make it easier for more people to find. For more resources and information on how you and your church can partner with Lifeline, please visit us at lifelinechild.org. 
Follow us on Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter by searching for Lifeline Child. You can email us directly at info at lifelinechild.org. We look forward to seeing you again next week for the Defender Bible Study. Music